This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, and today we get to chat about the difference between the peer relationship and the parent or caregiver relationship. We get a lot of questions about this and really what uh, comes up there and really looking at how do we separate that relationship? What's different about the relationship with peers or other humans in the world than our parents or caregivers? How does it show up? How does it affect us as humans? And how does that matter? And what what is our job as parents or caregivers in showing up for our tiny humans and supporting them with certain skills or a relationship that really prepares them to go out into the world? Does it ever end? Is there a certain age where it ends? This was such a rich discussion that I got to have with Gordon Newfeld, and I I'm excited to share it with you because he and I don't agree on all things all the time, and I love that. I don't want to only talk to humans that I always agree with, and we have in some ways some different approaches. You'll hear a little bit of that kind of back and forth happen. And I'm really excited to get to share that with you today. I want to hear your takeaways. So please come connect over on Instagram and share them with me. Screenshot you tuning into this episode and tag me and let's have a conversation. What jumps out at you? What do you want to dive further into? I love continuing the conversation over on the gram. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today, I get to hang out with Gordon Newfeld. He's a PhD in his Vancouver base. He's a developmental psychologist with over 50 years of experience with children and youth and those responsible for them. 
His book, Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. You might remember I was chatting a little bit about his book with Gabor Mate in our interview, and he was like, you have to chat with Gordon, so I'm excited to get to dive into that today and chat. Really, I'm I'm jazzed to chat about attachment and, uh, you know, why you chose to go in deep into attachment work, like what inspired this book for you, um, and, and and some questions that often come up in our village and in our community that I'd like to dive into. So hi, Gordon, welcome. Well, nice to meet you, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited and that I'm you're pleased here. Pleased to be here, yes. Um, and I see you're a father of five. I'm one of five children. Oh, are you? Uh, yeah, I am. Nice. And, yeah, and a mom of one and a growing tiny human right now. Oh, lovely. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. When, when are you due? This little one is due in December. Ah, yeah. lovely. That's yeah. Uh, that's when I was born. So that's a uh, oh nice. Uh, that's a great great month, great yeah. month to be born. Yes, I have uh, seven uh, seven grandchildren. So it, you know it uh, uh, it's 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 interesting as as each one gives a fresh new laboratory to study <laughs> and you know, so on. Sure, sure. We get to learn so much from them. Uh, well, I am I am curious, what inspired this book, The Hold On to Your Kids? Well, I, I, I was very much brought up in the, when learning theory was at, at its heyday. Uh, when it had thrown emotion under the bus, uh, when you were not allowed to make any inferences and so on. And so it was a radical behaviorism following very closely after Skinner and Watson and so on. And so that was my my training. And then I had children. And like Maslow, it changed everything. He was also taught as a behaviorist, but that changed everything. And and I, I could see that the the the, the main issue there and, and was that uh, I'm a gardener. And, and in gardening, everything will unfold as it should if the conditions are conducive and it's spontaneous. And and I got introduced then to a, you know, a, a relooking. The developmental approach had been thrown under the bus. Same with the new attachment theory. It just was coming out in the in the 1960s and so on, just coming out. And uh, I, I, I was teaching at university and all these textbooks were coming to me. And the ones that came from Europe were filled with a developmental approach and with a new understanding that, uh, that the roots of all development, like a plant, the attaches to the mother earth and it's the attachment in which all of the fruition, all of the development unfolds. And it made perfect sense uh, in terms of, I, I felt like I came home and uh, to myself as a father, as a, as a theorist, as a therapist, and as a teacher. I, I finally, it all, all made sense. Um, so I, I set out to write a book about attachment because I thought that the classical attachment theory had got stuck. It got stuck in typologies and so on and so on. And it, and it wasn't really seeing the bottom line. That is that uh, that attachment is the context in which all development occurs. That's where the conditions have to be conducive. And so I, I was trying to put that together. And as I looked closer and closer to it, I, I realized, you know, it's, 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 it's if you're studying the stars and all of a sudden you see that, oh my goodness, there's an asteroid coming at Earth, you know? And all of a sudden there was an urgency because I realized something. I realized that, 
when I studied all of culture, all of indigenous culture and so on, attachment permeated it, but nobody talked about it because it's, it's that which is right underneath our noses. It's that which we don't have to talk about because it is, it is us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, our quest for togetherness, our drive togetherness is us. And then I realized that we were falling apart. And then the study began, when did this begin? 1960s, when it was the first study given, 1960s, it was dismissed because it was considered an artifact of the Second World War uh, because, uh, because so many kids did not have fathers. And so mm-hmm. it was considered to be an artifact of that. Peers replace fathers. But then it, and so that's when the, the term peer orientation that we revolve around our peers rather than the adults responsible for us. But then it was dismissed because of being alarmist. But when I looked at it, and specifically because I was in Provence when I was writing it. Now, Provence, we know it as a culture of food. But if you look closely, it's a culture of attachment. Mm -hmm. It is totally like you you don't even eat with somebody that you're not attached to. And, you know, it like as a culture of attachment. But nobody talks about that. They just talk about the food. And then I realized, no, 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 no. I had to talk about about what was happening and, uh, and warn that, you know, Adolescence now goes to the early 20s, which means that childhood extends uh, twice as long as it used to 200 years ago. For as long as children uh, are to be raised, they need to revolve around the adults responsible for them. And uh, I, I, I avoided writing completely in all of my like I went to science not because I didn't love art and literature uh, but because I I could guarantee you know a top straight A in science and I couldn't do that in literature so I avoided every writing assignment in a high school in high school and university it all came back to bite me because now I had something to write about so I, I had a student in my classes, who was a really eager student in my parenting classes, uh, Gabber Maté. And so he, so our wives got us together. And so he helped me write it. That's, that's what it was. Yes. I, I learned to write while I was writing it. So the last third of the book is completely mine. But for the first part, I had to learn to write. <laughs> oh, I love that. I'm so glad he came along and got you there. Um, I think we're all better for it. So when we're looking at attachment, it, I agree. I think it's one of those things that like, once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? Like yes, you start yes. to see. Well, it's self-evident. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the main feedback I get from it. It's, I mean, it's been a long time now. The book is over. Uh, is 20 years well over 20 years since I wrote it yeah. uh, but it's now over I think 32 languages is selling more than it ever did and you know the first 10 years altogether but what what I what I would get when I used to traipse about giving uh you know giving lectures on it was you know oh my goodness now that now that I have the words and the language I see it everywhere you know, yeah. it's self-evident. And it's one of those things that we didn't have the language. We still don't have the language because that's still that that term peer oriented versus adult oriented is not in our in our uh, working language. And so sure. because it's not there, we don't see it. Sure. Well, and I, I think one of the things that we often find at Seed is that folks will come and in this parenting space specifically, they want to know what to say or what to do, right? And mm-hmm. it's, um, 
almost like a, how do I check this box? Right. Like, what do I say? In right, this what right. do I do in this moment? Yes. And it's, it's harder to focus on connection and relationships it than it, it is. is to say like, okay, I said the right words that that person yeah. gave me as a script. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, uh, Alyssa, that parenting was not actually a, a, a word, a construct. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something you do. It was someone you, you were. So it was all about parenthood. Mm-hmm. It, it was not about parenting and parenting gets in the way of parenthood like because that. when you are thinking about what to do your eyes go to follow a lead when you're in a dependent mode dancing to somebody else's tune looking for the answers what you fail to do is the most important thing out of all you don't need answers to parenting. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know how. You need to be the answer to your children. Their answer to specialness, importance, mattering, to all the togetherness needs. Those togetherness needs are relational needs. You can't meet them by yourself. They need to be met in relationship. And the parent is meant to, to extend the invitation to exist in one's presence, uh, to be the answer to sameness, belonging, to loyalty to love, to significance, uh, to, uh, uh, to emotional intimacy, and, and uh, uh, you know, to sharing all that is within one's heart. So all of these things are togetherness needs, and it is being the answer. Many individuals who have not read one book whatsoever, and this is where I have a huge problem with conscious parenting, mm. they are a whole lot better at being able to provide the conditions that are conducive for their children to flourish than children who have read all kinds of uh, books. And I'll just give you a little story. I have a, I have a six-month-old now, a six-month-old grandchild, I should sure. say. <laughs> sure, I had a feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, the old guy, you know, finally. No, like a six-month-old grandchild. And she, she's bright. She's really, really bright. And I... Uh, and my wife, her her nana, is her favorite person in the world, you know, apart from her parents. And uh, so she's six months old. But but because attachment is polarized, when you have somebody you deeply love, if there's any shy genes inside of you at all, you will resist contact and closeness with someone else. And that's the polarization of attachment, which most people don't know about. It's absolutely important. And so that explains shyness and stranger protest. Well, her brain naturally did it. If Nana is my favorite, uh, then then that old guy with the beard must be the enemy. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> She's bright. She studied me and it went in her head this way. Now we'll get over this, but the point is I can't change her diaper. I can't take care of her without traumatizing her. Now, think of the irony. I warned my kids of this, <laughs> that this was going to happen. You know, at five to six months of age, you would have the first the showing of stranger protests mm-hmm. when it polarizes. It came for her at four months, so she's a bit precocious. I warned them about it. I am considered an expert in Canada in development, and as I've written a book that's a bestseller. It's in thirty, you know, thirty-three languages or so. And I can't take care of my grandchild. And the reason is, is that attachment is a delivery system for care. It is that I can't take care of her because she is not attached to me in the right mode. Right. And so I can't take care of her. She would have to be attached to me 
in you know in a dependent mode and so that's that's the that's the paradox uh, is that people have come to me for 50 years for advice on parenting and the most important thing i've ever said to them is you were never meant to parent somebody's whose heart you didn't have and that includes children or adolescents you know youth you were never meant to parent that gives you the natural power the natural dance the natural kind of thing is that's true for all mammals the only reason that we we can have our way with horses and dogs not so much with cats but horses and dogs is that they attach to us that's the only reason and if they don't attach to us they don't listen to us and so yeah it's it's so simple the thing is is we have made a huge mistake and this is where all American research is dreadful in social sciences because it takes the norm as a standard rather than what could be or should be as a standard. So if the standard is for kids to revolve around their peers, then that's the norm. And that is what is taught. In it. And so shyness is pathologized in the United States. You know, shyness is pathologized, all of these things, whereas around the rest of the world in, in people that are closer to their cultures of origin, uh, it's a different thing. And in Europe, it is what could be, what is possible is a standard. What should have been is a standard. It's totally different research. And so people say, well, yeah. it's evidence-based. Ah, what research are you listening to? Like there's a lot of sciences out there and they have different assumptions. Uh, for it to be evidence-based is actually blind. It says, well, you know, the person is religious. Yeah, but there's all kinds of religions, you know, that doesn't tell you anything. And science is just the same. I I think what I, it, it's a couple stories, just like anecdotes personally just came up as you were chatting. I, I think one thing that I've noticed is this shift and maybe it's not a shift, but in the States here is a focus on a loss of the relationship part, right? And I think you hit it on the head of like the, when you're parenting, it pulls you out of parenthood. And I think we sometimes forget, like we're in relationship with somebody, mm. right? Like this is, it's not a, just a today thing or a tomorrow thing. Like I'm in relationship with you. And so my job as your parent isn't to mold you into something. It's to get to know you and to understand who you are as you I, I, I would i would say that's a luxury that that part is is a luxury yeah the, the, the fact is 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 tarzan's mother probably did a better job of tarzan's mother would do if you know what i mean <laughs> is 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 that you could have a cross-species attachment with better results and and in it is yes it is good to have a sense of your child it is a good to know them from inside out it is good to do all of this but the bottom line of all development is if the conditions are conducive and those conditions are warmth invitation to exist in one's presence they are being able to bridge any separation that divides if the conditions are conducive if you think of a plant mm -hmm. if its roots are undisturbed they are deep and they're continuous yep. and nothing disturbs them culture can do a better job 
of, of parenting in indigenous cultures that were intact, they didn't require a book, any consciousness. They didn't have to understand. We are getting way too far in North America in our heads, way too far, and losing the forest for the trees. The fact is, is that conditions need to be conducive. Now, you know, when when I have been involved with with high school teens, uh, pregnant teens, high school mothers, sure. uh, often marginalized at risk, the single most important factor there was to be able to do the matchmaking, to be able to get the parent, like almost all programs will try to teach a mother how to take care of a baby with dreadful results. Sure. An attachment-based program does one thing only doesn't tell the mom how to change the diaper, when to feed, what to do this. You certainly don't go to Google. The main thing you do is you matchmake. You give feedback to the mother that they are the child's best bet. Look at when she looks at you, her eyes light up and so on and so on. And attaching the baby to the mother. When that happens, the mother automatically seeks to take care of the child and provides the conditions that are necessary. Otherwise, they're always giving the baby away to the experts. And it doesn't matter. And that's why I said it doesn't matter how good an expert I am. Sure. <laughs> I am not the answer to somebody else's child. And that includes every daycare expert. And they're not the answer to somebody else's child. If that child attaches to them, then the child will be open to take care of. So no, I, the, the conditions that's to get to know your child is, is a luxury. It's more important to be able to step up to the plate uh, and to, like culture has done a better job than all the books in the world. When culture was intact and it did the matchmaking of children to the adults responsible for them, if the child was being brought up by, uh, by the village instead of by a parent or being brought up by grandparents, as in Canadian Indigenous heritage, culture made sure that children were attached to the grandparents, right? It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns and it came in the mail and I was like, oh my gosh, I wanna wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out, 
and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. The culture did a better job of parenting the children than often we do in our very small nuclear family, reading all kinds of books and trying to, you know, get answers out of Google. Well, I think a couple of things. I think one, we, I don't think are meant to raise these tiny humans by ourselves. I believe in the village. And I think we have gotten like systemically away from that and now have conditions that aren't conducive of like financially, if you have to go back to work because you have no paid leave and you have to go back to work to put a roof over your head and food on your table, and you're then leaving your kid at six weeks, 12 weeks, um, with somebody else, like I, I think that those are the conditions we've created here in the states. Yes, they they are, and in Canada, but but let's go back to the village itself and tease that apart. Yeah, let's do it. Let's 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 tease that apart a little bit because when when uh, who 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 was the uh, was it uh, um, Michelle Obama that made that phrase? Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. Hillary I, I Clinton was, or was it Hillary Clinton? I thought yeah. it was uh, Michelle. There's a book on it. Uh, yeah, but I thought, well, anyway, what, whatever, whatever it is, the the, the there's two ways of thinking about it. Is it takes a village means that moms shouldn't have to uh, raise a child alone. Is generally the way it's thought. That's not true. All nature has mothers raising offspring alone. That's not true. What is true is that the mother needs to be supported. Correct. The village is more important to do this. Well, today's whole slew of experts and we farm out our children to be raised is not the village. The village is when the person who is primarily responsible for raising the child is supported. That is, I, I use the word cascading care. We're all meant to be to be embedded in cascading care that we feel taken care of by someone and move it forward to take care of those who are responsible for us. And so that is the more important construct of village. And I don't find and I don't find that that uh, I'm glad you agree. And I'm glad that that's the village you're talking about. I don't find that that is what people usually are talking about when they talk about the village of attachment. And Hmm. Interesting. I I do think so. I think like, I don't know, maybe it's just within my circle, but it's this idea of like, without intergenerational support, especially like we, for instance, my husband and I moved back to be closer to family to have children for that. But like, 
Thank you. <laughs> um, we left a city where now where we live, the jobs we had don't exist, right? Like we had to, there were sacrifices well, to then moving where well, we are. Good uh, for you. That's, that's exactly what needs to happen. Now I'll tweak it a little bit. Is that your parents and, and parents-in-law is that they're, the, the, the greater reality is that they are taking care of you. I am taking care of my adult children who take care of, well, now they have adult children too, right, exactly. who take care right. of, of those. And the cascading care is what it what it is. And that is why in indigenous and in Canadian indigenous culture, the grandparent is grandparent centric. The grandparent is key to the whole thing. And you know what has happened to grandparents in uh, in in North America, they're in Arizona. They're in, That's you right. know, they, they're, you know, they're in That's Florida. Right. They're, they're, they're all, they're, they're peer oriented. Sure. They would rather be with their cronies than mm -hmm. stepping up to take responsibility for their family. So good on you for moving back to where you had a chance for cascading yeah. care, and, and good on on your yeah. parents yeah. and your your spouse's parents for being for being that because that's exactly what needs to be knitted back together again that's how we have a chance of putting humpty dumpty together again see yeah. and 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 i would go one step further is not to mess not to mess too much with how the grandparents take care of children because books can ruin them no i agree in fact like we my husband and i had this conversation before we even had um sage our oldest and i was like listen they're going to do things that are just going to be not on par. Like what are yeah. our hard stops, right? Like yeah. what are our hard stops of like, this is a, just a no for us. Mm -hmm. And outside of that, like, yeah, they're going to do things differently. And like, great, <laughs> great that they're going to respond differently to certain yeah. things or have different practices and approaches. But what we have here, and I'm, I am so grateful for, like when Sage was born, my mom lived with us for a little bit and um, it was COVID times and she was able to work remotely. And so she took care of a lot of the house and I just got to be yeah. a mom and take Perfect. care of myself and, and Perfect. him. And Good he, instincts. And he, uh, and then my mother-in-law who lives a mile from us now, when she comes over, like last night she was here for dinner, she did the dishes while we did bedtime and whatever. So that is what I feel so grateful for. And I think most people here in the States don't have. Um, and I agree, like when I envisioned the village, that's what I grew up with. We lived five houses down from my grandparents and that was the role that they played. It wasn't as much like parenting us as it was supporting my parents and my parents could yes, parent us. Yes, and, and, and that's where it is. And 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 again, the the, the idea here is the the attachment between mm -hmm. like the stories that you hear and that you see. My mother was ninety three, and she got involved for the last decade of her life in a cascading care program, where where an organization took. I took grandparents with extra grandparent energy and connected them to take care of of uh, of uh, usually mothers in very small nuclear families who had no no support of their own so that they could take care of their their children. The honor and dignity it brought to all of the individuals mm -hmm. at her funeral, the numbers of of surrogate grandchildren who came to honor her I bet. Uh, for their role in her family. Uh, my mother never wrote a book 
never read a book on parenting, and I don't think she read mine. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I'm wondering. <laughs> do, 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 do you see what I mean here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you see. What about for folks who like grew up in insecure attachments or in trauma spaces where, um, you know, whether it's addiction that played a role or whatever it was in their space. So when they were kids and now they're parents and they're bringing their trauma. Well, I, no, obviously I, I wrote a book, so I believe there's a place for a book. So obviously I do. And yes, because we've lost our culture, our only way is to become conscious. My mother had not lost her culture. She mm -hmm. was in tune with how it should be. So she didn't need to become conscious. All I'm trying to point out is that, yes, consciousness is important, but let's let's keep it in perspective. Why yeah. do we need it? Is because we have lost our culture. Why do we need it? Because we have lost our ways. And let's be let's be careful, though, that consciousness is meant to be an interim thing to create rituals, rituals right. of collecting, rituals of bridging, rituals of what happens after you get home from school, because you've had a moment of insight. You've heard something on Alyssa's podcast, <laughs> and you have a moment of insight insight that you have to hold on you know the title of my book you have to hold yeah. on so you have a moment of insight you create a ritual the ritual does the job that is attachment is way too deep way too structured like even with my plants i know that they their roots must be undisturbed they must be attached to mother earth and mother earth will take care of them very nicely i am simply the gardener However, I cannot depend upon me trying to see the unseen, their roots, to be able to know each of my plants, so I create a ritual. My ritual is very simple. I, you know, I make sure that that I I I water all of them every Sunday morning. It's very simple. You don't taking your climate into concern. It's the ritual, so it doesn't matter how I feel on Sunday morning. It's time for my, you know, my uh, flora offspring to be to be fed and and nurtured. These are the kinds of rituals you see that doesn't depend upon you thinking and being on the getting up on the right side of the bed and be, what mood you are in or what book you have. They're the things that tend to what really counts. And what really counts, like a plant or like a human, is their attachments in humans we attach to each other. And so for us to get our care across, our love across, they must be attached to us. Not we attached to them, that's good, but sure. not the absolute prerequisite. They must be attached to us. And I think the ritual part, then it becomes who you are, it becomes about a part of your yes. practice. Yes. And you don't need the conscious brain as much because your subconscious shifts, right? Yeah. And I think like- Well, when, that's what when ritual is for. That's right. And so like when I 100% agree with what you're saying that like, if we're doing this in practice- right? Like maybe you didn't grow up with secure attachment and now what you're bringing to parenthood, you're kickstarting with a challenge in fostering attachment because it hasn't been modeled for you in your subconscious. And you start these rituals or these patterns. In an example, my husband, I don't know, Sage was days old within this first few weeks of life. 
and I had just nursed him and passed him off to Zach and I was hopping in the shower and he would have been potentially ready to go down for some sort of sleep. We'll call it a nap. Um, those newborn days. And I got out of the shower and Sage is like crying and crying and he didn't cry a whole lot as a baby and he's crying and Zach came and he's like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know. And he was flustered and I took Sage and I was like, why don't you take a break, like step away and take a break and come back and calmed Sage and just connected. And I didn't know what he needed. I was just entering into this situation too. Uh, and then later I was chatting with Zach, my husband, and he was like, how did you know what to do? And I was like, oh, I didn't. I just knew that we could figure it out and that I didn't have to have the answer in that moment for what does he need right now? I was just going to let him know, like, we're going to figure this out and we can try some different things to see. He ended up pooping like, great. (laughs) That's what you needed. But what I needed to bring to the table was that like trust and intuition. And I, and like that gut, which for me comes from culture. I feel grateful to have been raised in this culture. It comes from culture, but it also comes from being in your alpha caring place. And so where in your alpha caring, when when you're in charge of something like in the kitchen to care for your loved ones, and so you're to prepare food, food will, will give way to you. You don't have to read a recipe. You don't have to do all of those kinds of things. You'll be much more intelligent, much more caring because you're in your alpha caring place. If you start reading recipes, if you start figuring out what to do, if you start doing this, you'll be in the dumbest part of your brain, the part that's dependent upon others to guide you, and you'll only be as good as your advice is. The fact is, is that we have it the same as all mammals do. When they're in their alpha caring place, when they're in their place of take charge, I've got this, you can lean on me, you can trust on me. Their brain is meant for this. It's meant to deliver care and they'll figure it out. And so it's not just in this case, it is already instinct based. It is already there. Uh, The mammals can raise their offspring if they haven't been interfered with too much. If they're domesticated, they lose their ways because they're dependent upon others. We are all domesticated here in the worst kind of way. And the worst kind of way that colonization has has exercised, we've lost our ways. And that's part of, no, we can trust in something much deeper in us to deliver if we find that place. And that's why I ask parents, simply step up, be the answer to your child rather than trying to figure out what to do. Be the answer to your child in the place where you're delivering care. It will come to you that you need to hold on to them. It will come to you that you must bridge everything that divides. It will come to you that that uh, you know, that you must preserve their attachments to you. It will come to you that you must hold on to them uh, when apart. It will come to you because we are creatures of togetherness. We have instincts about how to be able to take care of those who can't uh, who who can't take care of themselves or can't hold on to us. And so there is something to lean on there that is that is so, so important. And that's why I like to think that my my book, which it was terrible, publisher said, well, 
is this a parenting book? I said, no, it's not a parenting book. Uh, they said, well, then how, how do we advertise it? It's got to be a parenting book. I said, no, it's a book about how children develop when conditions are conducive. And it's the role of parents in that and the role of child's relationship. And then finally, they said, no, it, it, the only, we have to, it has to be a parenting book. And I said, well, I hope it's, it's, if it's a parenting book, it's, it will be a, a one which doesn't speak to how to, but what needs to be in place for, uh, for parents to truly be the answers their children need. And, and it is that attachment of their children to them, their adolescents to them, their adult children to them. That needs to be to be the parent, the teacher, the grandparent the uh, the child needs. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, Hormone Harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
been like scrolling the internet and there's all these like tools for calming your child and how to regulate and whatever and you try them and your child just gets amped up or that doesn't work or you find yourself in these cycles where it's like epic meltdown try to come back from it and you just feel like you're putting out fires all day long if this is you you aren't alone and we collaborated with an occupational therapist to create our sensory profile quiz this is going to help you learn about what helps your child regulate what's happening in their unique nervous system we are all different in figuring out what you're sensitive to or what helps you regulate is the key for actually doing this work for getting to a regulated state for having tools for calming down for having tools for regulation head on over www.seedquiz.com to take the quiz for free. You can take it as many times as you like for as many humans as you'd like. And we will deliver results right to your inbox to get you kickstarted on this journey. Seedquiz.com. Yeah, and I think the challenge that so many of us face is that we have listened to outside voices for so long. And so many of us are coming into parenting with like expectations around sleep or how to feed a kid or yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that are all outside influences that mm. in that, in the moment when you are, I almost feel like you need, we need a shift in disconnection from that like outside world in order to really reconnect with our internal guides because they get muddled, right? Like in that moment, you're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? And that's all of the outside, right? The like, what am I supposed to do is the outside. Right. And it, it takes practice to get back to you know what, what happens next, you know, like, who, where are we going next? And that's, it's a practice. You know, like, I don't think that that, I was even just thinking my two-year-old <laughs> left his own birthday party recently. Uh, he told me, mama feeling overwhelmed, go inside. We were outside and he was like, go inside, take a break, come back in a little bit. And I was like, great, buddy, go right ahead. And I, I'm a giant extrovert. I'm one of five kids, you know, like I love like a group of people and like can hang. And I was like, oh, I, I dig his confidence in like leaving his own birthday party. And that he had a safe space. He knew I can pop inside. I can unwind. I, he just went and he was reading a book by himself and then came back out. And I, but he had that freedom and ability to go and do that. But inside for me, there were parts of me that were like, is he going to have skills for social settings? Is he going to whatever? And like, that's the external, right? Like that's the external influence coming in and being like, he should X, Y, and Z. He needs to be able to yada, yada, yada. And for me, it's that practice of like, no, he's doing exactly what his body needs right now. Like he feels safe and comfortable in this. Can I take it a step further? Go ahead. Okay. The, the danger in having articulate child is it puts them in the lead. Help the me challenge, understand. pardon? Help me understand. Okay. If it takes your child, say, I'm being overwhelmed. I can't handle this. I need to take a break. I'm tapping out here. Sure. Okay. And ordinarily a toddler, a shy toddler would just go and grab you behind the knees and so that you are at the forefront of this and would go and and tuck in behind you, sure. but your your 
uh, your toddler is able to tell you that they're overwhelmed and need a break. Mm -hmm. The danger in that is you're taking your cues from your child as to what they need. The danger in the in in now that is not a danger in itself only so much as it puts your child in the need so they are taking care of themselves by orchestrating you or orchestrating around them. Now, let me see if I can explain. Um, it is important to read your child. Sure. But it is, is equally important not to give the lead away. If your child becomes responsible for knowing what they can handle, what they can't handle, for taking a break and so on, they've lost the sense of being safe in your in your presence. They've lost the sense because now they have to orchestrate you, make sense to you, get your permission for them to do what is necessary. That is the upside down parenting I'm talking about is when the child is in the lead. When the child is in the lead, their brain goes crazy with interpreting. No, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. I, I need to take a break now and so on and so on. Their anxieties increase. All the child needs to do is feel safe in your presence. I felt safe in my father's presence, not because he read, could read me. He couldn't read me. It was it was because he he he, he never he took the lead in being able to like to the degree when i was around him i felt safe and being around him would be the answer to it now there's no problem again with you reading your child but you've got to make it your own idea. In that situation, it's just like, like breastfeeding. After a child is nine months of age, they get a sense of agency in their own being. And the worst thing is for them to feel responsible for themselves because their brains aren't ready for that, not for a very long time. And it goes berserk trying to figure out the anxiety increases, the monsters come under the bed, all kinds of things will happen when that happens. So you read the cue and you take the lead you make it your own idea hmm i was thinking that it was time for you to have a break yes i think this is a great idea let's you and i go and you know just have a story or a little cuddle or whatever it is you seize the lead so that it becomes your idea and he's depending upon you you don't ever want to give that lead away i have a question let's dance here at what point so he's going to have situations where there's no, I'm not there, right? Where he's going to be in school, et cetera. At what point do you give reins to your kid to self-advocate for those needs and say, oh, I know what this feels like inside and I know how to at least ask for that need to be met, even if I'm not meeting my own need, but to to advocate for that, that, that internal awareness but, and then advocacy. Okay. They'll get there. If they know you have their back, if they feel safe and taken care of, they'll get to the strength that they need to do to do this. That doesn't have to be taught. That's a matter of how how strong their their self their self is. I, and and yes, there is no problem with that. But again, that's a natural fruit of of spontaneous development. When it comes to mother, 
that is the most important relationship, your primary attachment, or it could be a father, but their primary attachment, it's a different story. That is where you need to make sure that you have the lead. The other attachments won't be as important if there are attachments whatsoever. And so for him to be able to, to take care of himself, yes, but he must know that you have his back. Sure. They, you know, But it is you having his back, being his answer, that will make him strong enough to do it so he doesn't have to make things work in other relationships so he won't be nice sure you'll and be, I guess my my question you'll is be still, harder to manage for other adults my question is still at what age do you expect that to happen where you think it's not that an that age it's, it's, it's a strength that takes some children longer to to like when first of all you're not going to just cave to other adults if you've got a if if you feel very safe with right. your primary attachment, there is a strength that comes from it because it's working. You're orienting, you are orienting around your mom and dad. You yeah. don't have to obey other adults. So what right. you're going to get is somebody that is not very socially appropriate. Teachers are going to have problems with them. They're going to talk back and they're going to say, no, I don't have to. No, I don't want to. <laughs> and they're not going to be very easy to manage at school. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. Sure. Okay. They will have that strength automatically. You don't need to be loved by everybody when you feel that your that your mother is your answer, your father is your answer. You don't need other people to be answers, so you don't need to cave in. Contrary to what people think, this doesn't mean this doesn't make children, you know, uh, socially fit in. It means they don't have to make it work with their peers. Mm -hmm. They can walk away and say, "I don't want to play with you." Uh, they can they can come home and say, "I don't like this teacher." I don't think you know they can do this. This this. This is actually healthier. You know, you were mentioning Gabor Mate. Sure. This? He has this book in his chapter four, you know, like, I mean, his whole book on, on the myth of normal is about people being too nice. Well, guess yeah. when they start, Correct. you know? And, and so, but the fact is, is the more it works with you, the less it needs to work with anybody else. And that is part of the growing pains. When they get mixed feelings, it will all straighten out naturally and spontaneously it doesn't need to be taught you don't need to give them the skills you don't need to you, you you don't need to do this it will take care of itself it's important not to interfere with it because if we try and do it too soon we only make nice neurotic kids out of them i agree i think we're i'm in agreement with everything you just said and i think what's missing is maybe the i don't know maybe not the like what comes before, right? Like how does Sage know oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed in this? Because we've, we have taken that lead for his first how, two years. How does he know that he is? The like, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Do you need to take a break situation that we have? He has how, how hid does, behind me. He has hid yeah. behind me for oh, you know, you can, his you, first you year. Can, and you can read can those say. cues easily. That's exactly and, it. Right. Yeah, you can read those cues. So what you said, oh, you're feeling right overwhelmed right now. Uh, you need to take a break. Right. All I'm doing is there's a quarter twist on this. I could tell going back into your alpha caring position so that he doesn't become responsible for his own care. The problem with 
too many kids today who have very sensitive, caring, sure. conscientious parents is their kids are in the lead. These kids yeah. are becoming anxious. They develop eating disorders. And so I have seen so many of these kids in my practice. And the fact is, it, it, it you know, it, it was... They lost the lead with their their children, and this is the difficulty with you know like there's there's no problem the um, with with reading the cues. It's important to do this, but don't give your lead away. It, like if, if you think of this with your, uh, do you mean independence? Like that we, this is something that I feel like I've noticed is this focus. And again, at least here in the States on independence, that we're trying to build a skill set for kids so that they can go and be these independent humans. And what I'm hearing from you is the focus still on codependence or interdependence and the value of that and that independence and their ability to do this all on their own isn't the goal. Well, codependence and interdependence are dreadful terms. Uh, the, the independence is a doctrine that is totally false. The main needs of humans are togetherness needs. You depend upon your husband for a sense of specialness, to be invited into his existence, to be there. If you as an adult do this, if we do this, how in the world are we going to make our children independent? This is not what it is. If, if you mean by independence that they can get their own spoon into their own mouth, well, that's just simply a matter of... of, of uh, uh, of uh, that's that's not independence uh and and that doesn't have to be taught they'll model all of those things properly if the attachments are right including you know going to the bathroom all of that will be modeled you don't have to have any consciousness around this at all Yes, the doctrine of independence is getting away when we try to make children responsible for themselves Yes, that gets in the way. When we do so, there's only two modes of attaching, the dependent mode and the alpha mode. The alpha mode is to deliver care. The dependent mode is to receive care. This is true for adulthood. It is true no matter how old you are. And when we try to reduce the dependence of children on us, we reduce the attachment and we run the danger of putting them in the alpha mode. When children are in the alpha mode, they don't feel safe. It doesn't matter how secure your attachment is. You don't feel safe. Sure. And, and, and by the way, there is no such thing as secure attachment. Because by the time a three-year-old understands that something bad can happen to mommy, security is lost. We are existentially insecure. It's how we handle that insecurity. The again, this idea that that there that one could be secure means that you know you would have to be dumb enough not to know that bad things can happen to those you love. That separation is there. So again, it 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 is just simply taking the responsibility. It's you can lean on me. You can trust in me. It's my job to take care of you. So what you do when you've got a precocious kid or they've got more language or you've, you've done the reflection so he can say, mommy, I'm being overwhelmed, is you move to be the answer. Just, you know, you move to trump. You move to trump the interaction 
So it, to, it was your idea. You've got you know, in mind what should happen. You move to do this so that you don't lose that alpha position because when you've got a bright two-year-old and three-year-old, they will start orchestrating you. No, mommy, you've got to hold me like this. No, you, it's three kisses you need to do. No, you've you got to put both hands on the steering wheel. And, and we are having the most bossy toddlers and, and preschoolers ever, and they are developing all of all of the symptoms of being highly alarmed because they weren't meant to be because they're saying are you going to care for me no no because they no because they it's not that are you going to care for me it's because they're in charge that's Honey, what i'm saying like, are you like, going to care for me or am i the one who has to be in charge yeah. Right. Yeah. If you're in that dependent versus alpha, that yeah, the it's, day, it's, they're it's, asking, it's not a conscious thing that correct. happens. It just right. is. Is that when when you don't feel when when like when you're around a very strong alpha caring individual, you automatically to dance with them have to go into the dependent mode. And the dance is there. You feel safe, not because you are safe. In the Ukrainian war, if a child is in, in the context of the parents, the child feels safe, not because the bombs won't drop, drop right, right. because they're attached to the parents that they're there. It, it's just simply a matter of, of, of instinct. When the child feels safe, the brain calms down. Somebody knows what they're doing. I'm taken care of. When the whole brain calms down, it goes to they eat your food. They, they do these things. Like Now they can go to where they are meant to be as dependents to grow up, not as independent, self-caring, precocious individuals right. who upend their parents. And so I'd have these hordes of conscious parents reading all all kinds of books, you know, making sure that they breastfed their child to four years of age or whatever it is, whatever it is, doing all of these things, who had children who were monsters. And so what I'm trying to say is we keep on walking down this way, thinking that the more we know, the more we put our children in charge, the more we take the cues from them. No, no. We need to be what we were always meant to be. We don't need to know a lot. We don't need to have to think a lot. What we need to do is, is to, to step up to be the answer, to be the answer, not have the answers, mm -hmm. to be the answer to love, to significance, to loyalty, to be the answer. When we do this, you could have a 90-year-old grandparent doing this with a toddler who knows nothing about parenting whatsoever, but the toddler is attached to, to granny, you can just see the wonderful fruit of it, the effects of it, and, and nature will take care of the rest. It doesn't have to be taught. It's not a skill set. Life is not a skill set. You know, it, it's not a skill set. It, it, uh, it unfolds. It's spontaneous. It, it, it always has. We're making too much of it these days because we, uh, you know, we're, everything has to be from here rather than finding the, the heart of the matter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we're speaking the same language here, Gordon. Good. Good. <laughs> um, and there are so I feel like I could go on with so many different things to dive into topic wise, but I want to be respectful of your time. I I'm, I'm grateful for this conversation. I think it is a necessary dive into 
the shift into the internal and learning, relearning how to find that voice and trust it and be in that alpha space, I think requires, like I said, some disconnection from the outside world, from scrolling on Instagram, from listening to the podcast, which is maybe not what my producer is going to say to say on my own podcast, <laughs> but like <laughs> to disconnect a little so that we can internally connect. And I, uh, we, we see this so much in our work. People often ask us for the script, what to say, what to do in the moment. And uh, they don't love our answer when it's focused on connection and it's it's a hard mm-hmm. truth it is and it's maybe i could truth. i could reframe your role or maybe you already have it there uh but the the role uh of you as an influencer podcaster would be to match make children yeah. to their parents and parents to their children would be as a matchmaker uh you know to to build confidence in the parent that the answer already lies within nature is taking care of their children nature is taking care of through them through depending upon it it is benign it already has a plan uh, benevolent i mean not uh yeah uh, it, it it already is there and that and that we can we can lean into it we can trust in it and we can lean into it in terms of uh, of our children our primary role our primary role is to hold on to our kids through thick and thin through our primary role is to not let anything come in between that they know that we are doing the work of attachment so they don't have to Mm. if they don't have to do the work of attachment then they nature will grow them up and it will grow them up it has its own plan our job is to take care of of uh of those those attachments and and again that doesn't mean like everybody says parent child attachments it's not that it's child parent attachments like we're so adult centric we don't even get what is what is essential our language does not allow us to even get to what what it is that's required yeah i think that's so true and i appreciate that Thank you for hanging out with us. I I so deeply appreciate you and this. And you had a recent conference in April, and I you I believe it is available for purchase post. Yes, it's still uh, access the recordings. Yes, it was on the wisdom of nature, and my own. Uh, keynote was on the wisdom of dependence so if people want to go hey you you know what is this all about (laughs) this doctrine of independence and why i what is he talking about yeah that that would be probably a good one to take because i i i try to i try to go to where is it that we have taken a wrong turn in our society and it is about this doctrine of independence the myth of independence it is about we have taken a huge wrong turn for 400 years now we've thrown dependence under the bus and so it's time to bring it back is that you can invite a child to depend upon you uh you can you can invite a child to lean on you to trust in you you can communicate to your child look i'll take care of you uh, you can relax i'll take care of you i'll take care of this oh i love that so much folks can find it at newfeldinstitute.org slash conference yes conference dash 2023 well um, newfeldinstitute.org is enough and then the rest will the great. rest can unfold yeah uh, you just made me think of my dad where when I re- found out I was pregnant with um, my current pregnancy, 
I said I was nervous that I would have twins and like, could I handle it? And my dad said, oh, I'll move in. <laughs> he was like, I'll move in and help. And yeah, you've got this. We've got this. Yeah. See, see and- that's, that's the kind of father, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the kind of father, because what happens? He, like, he's not telling you what to do. He's telling, you got me. Yeah. You got me, babe. I'm right. your best bet. Yeah. Lean on me, you know, and that's exactly the arrogant, wonderfully arrogant yeah. attitude. Yeah. You got me, babe. You know, right. like, like I, I'm your best bet. I'll take care of this. That's the part that makes you relax. The dance is wonderful. Yeah. It doesn't come from the head. It goes straight to the heart. It's mm-hmm. how we were meant to dance in, in cascading care. And you are really fortunate, Alyssa, so to fortunate. have that, is to have a parent who is so close to those instincts and i will and i'm thinking you didn't get there by listening to your podcast <laughs> just to turn this thing on your head right yeah, yeah. so it, it it doesn't mean the podcasts don't have a value it's just let let's keep them in context here let's sure. keep in context what is the way that makes the world go round as in being embedded in cascading care you mm-hmm. know with with somebody who can invite your existence and your dependence and when that does oh my goodness do good things ever happen i love it thank you so much thanks for joining me pleasure all the best take care okay i wanted to let you know that we have a special pre-order bonus happening right now for the book. So if you snag Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, my book that's publishing with HarperCollins in October, if you go snag it right now at seedandso.org book, then come right back there after you purchase it and give me your name and email and your order number. And I will send you a guide to surviving summer. What does it really look like to navigate the schedule changes, the transitions, the sun changes, the back to school stuff as it comes up. Like we are here to help you navigate this season. And I have a complete guide for you. Head over to seedandso.org slash book to purchase Tiny Humans, Big Emotions, and then let me know so I can send you that bonus. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was 
steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking